This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is October 19th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you're at Hofstra Radio. Uh, Mike Larkin, 1981 to 1984. Okay. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming back and doing another interview with us. I, I can't wait to hear the rest of your stories. Uh, some of them I remember, some of them I don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll put them out there and we'll see if anybody objects. <laughs> we'll try yeah, it that way. That's, that's true. Um, if you could remind us, what were the titles or positions you held at the station? So I started as remote operations chief, then executive engineer, and then station manager. Okay. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Um, you said remote operations chief. How did you uh, happen to fall into that position? Was it something you were interested in, or is it something you were asked to do? So my my first year at college, I, I went to Dowling, and I did... Um, you know, some work with their school radio station, which was, you know, a carrier current at the campus. Hmm. And I got interested in radio. And then when I, I went to Hofstra, uh, I decided to join the radio station because I was really interested. And when I walked in, um, I said, what do you need me to do? And they said, good, you can go be the uh, ROC for now. So that was, they needed, they needed an ROC and I wanted something to do. So I took that position. Was that like a walk in the door kind of thing? Like you've got a little bit of experience at Dowling and, and come in and try this out? Well, I had done um, audio work before I got to Hofstra, um, freelance audio work. Um, so, you know, I knew the equipment and everything and they just wanted somebody who would, you know, uh, remember the, the sports department was very um, young at that time. And they wanted, uh, we, we actually had David Taylor, who was uh, one of the biggest college players at the time. And they really wanted to get started with making sure that the broadcasts were right and somebody who had to deal with, you know, ordering the phone lines. And so, you know, I had the patience to do that, I guess. Okay. So, so you go in and you start doing this. I guess it's mostly sports broadcasts. Were there other parts of the job? Well, uh, we, we, we did do a few um, broadcasts live uh, on uh, VHC at the time from uh, over at uh, John Cranford Adams Playhouse. And we did some, they had some orchestras over there and we would do broadcasts from over there, um, things like that. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I always get a kick out of getting descriptions of what the equipment was like at the time, because today... Things are so much different, and and the equipment is so, so much more streamlined. But what do you remember about the equipment that was used for doing remotes? You mentioned phone lines, but I imagine there's also there were like these suitcases with microphones and mixing boards and stuff like that. No, it was really simple. Um, there was a unit that what you would do is it was basically a mixing console that you took with you out to uh, sporting events, and you just took two ends of a copper wire remember phone lines back then weren't fiber they were copper mm. and you just tied them into this unit and it would translate your audio for you know it, there was a mixer inside this small unit you plugged your you know uh i think they were back then they were probably uh oh the sure you know we didn't have expensive mics back then they were some sort of sure microphones and then you just plug them in and and it translated the audio over the phone line it was as simple as that. Mm. And this, these weren't headset mics or anything like that. These are good old fashioned, you know, indestructible shore mics that yeah, could take a you, beating. You could, 
you could either use a headset mic or you could use a set of headphones. And a lot of the announcers back then, uh, Mark Heller was our lead announcer back then and Andy Hershorn. They, they like to uh, utilize the microphones more than the, the headsets because a lot of times the headsets, if you really tried to get animated, they were not really quality headsets and they'd overload and your, your audio would get mashed. Right, right. So then the distortion would happen and it wouldn't come off as well. Um, did you ever do any of the sports broadcast yourself or were you doing strictly behind the scenes? No, I just did behind the scenes. Uh, and uh, just for a, a small, you know, giggles back then, our entire budget for for WBHC and then to, and WRG was $152,000 a year. That was it. Hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine what the budget is now, but we weren't even part of any, we weren't part of the communications department. We were part of cultural arts back then. So it was up to Jeff to make that, that budget stretch and to find, you know, any other funds he could, uh, for whatever was going on. I guess, I guess, uh, some of the sports broadcasts or uh, the, the trips, I imagine the university covered the cost for that for transportation and hotel. No, that came out of our budget. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about uh, Mark Heller was a, a talented sports guy. He knew his sports inside and out. And, and I believe Mark passed a couple of years ago, sadly. But Mark was hilarious. He comes back and he's handing me his expenses from a trip to Hawaii. And he's arguing with me why I won't pay him for a $12 T-shirt. <laughs> and I reminded him that, hi, we just sent you to Hawaii for free. So, right. You know, it was just funny back then. It was, you know, it was, it, it, we didn't have much money. It was cultural arts. Bill Wren, who was the chair of the communications department, Bill had no control over us. Um, mm. We all went through cultural arts and, and the dean who handled that. So it was a different time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you do a year as remote operations chief. You're doing these uh, remote broadcasts and the sports games. And then I think you said next was executive engineer. Was this a, a step up for you? Was this a plan or were you asked to do that? Well, I, I did ROC for about three months and then they needed an executive engineer and and, and Jeffrey volunteered me for that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, and that's, or, that's... Or as Jeff would say voluntold. Yes. You know. Oh, I like that. That's... Voluntold. Um, so, but this is this is a little bit of a step up within the the, the station ranks, and so you're in charge right. of now um, creating the schedule for the engineers who are uh, going to work the board, and I guess right. doing engineering classes and tests. Was that part of your job? Yeah, we we did. I also had a deal with uh, Frank Grunstein was our chief engineer back then, and if there was any problems with the radio station, I was the one who interfaced with Frank, and and you know um, we had this weird patch bay to keep us on the air um, mm. and it was it was funny something would break and we try and patch around something and it was a shoestring back then it really was some days i wondered how we got on the air well it forced you to be very creative i'm sure uh, yeah we um yeah we, we may have borrowed things from other places too so <laughs> the less said about it, the better. No, we we were known for. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, Jeffrey came up one day and he he'd look at us and go, "Oh, you went shopping." So we we had a deal with the plant department. We'd give them free records, 
and they would tell us where furniture was going to be left out the night before. We could never get any furniture for the office. The office was on the second floor memorial above the cafeteria at the time. Mm-hmm. And they would tell us where furniture was. And then uh, the drama department did the same thing. And we'd go through at seven o'clock at night, we'd be walking down a hallway, stealing furniture <laughs> and bringing it up to the office. And Jeffrey would go, oh, you went shopping again. That's great. Because we couldn't uh, get anything. One of my questions about uh, some stories like this is where where was Hofstra Public Safety and and did they ever run across you and say what are you doing with that? No, um, Hofstra Public Safety wasn't really around that much back then. Remember, we had a small campus back then. Yeah, uh, this is you know the beginning of, the, the beginning of the eighties. It was there weren't that many buildings and and you know they, they we just smiled a lot and you know we just like thieves in the night and it was fun. Yeah, we couldn't get chairs, desks, nothing. So we we bribed the plant guys and go get stuff. Sounds like a fair trade. Um, so the last time we spoke about this, you you had mentioned building some of the new or temporary studios, and a lot of that was uh, was on you. That you're you know going to class covered in drywall and building materials and stuff like that. Where does that fall in the timeline of of being ROC and executive engineer? When was that happening? So- so as as I transitioned from running executive engineer to station manager, we were building uh, the new studios. Okay. And so we did a lot of the wiring. Uh, Fabulon is a very interesting chemical if you don't uh, actually air, air the room out correctly. We found that out quickly. Um, could, you, could you elaborate on that? Because I don't know so what that what, is. So what happens is um, they would bring in consoles and we would do all the routing on the consoles, the end, the formica and everything on the consoles. We were doing the routing and you had to glue this stuff to it. And Fabulon is the chemical you used. And if you didn't air the room out right, it was like sitting in a, a, you know, a paint thinner. Oh. And you quickly wondered why you were floating across the room. <laughs> uh, and then we realized we should bring in some fans and, but yeah, we built we built the consoles. We uh, we did all the audio racks. We put uh, Teddy Ronenberger was great in getting us stuff um, for soundproofing and everything. Uh, what they forgot to do was they forgot to put a wall uh, above the wall. They forgot to put another wall in between the, the main studio and the production studio. So we had to build that uh, because we had great sound leakage there. Um, you know, we had no money for this, so we all did it ourselves. You know, we were just gluing up soundproofing and. It was it was a crew of guys that just wanted to get this done. So it it just seems really fortuitous because not everybody's handy in that way. Was was this something that you had skills with, or you just figured you know let's let's figure it out? Well, it, I, I had used power tools before, you know, and and it's really easy to route. All you do is you just take the router and you just run it along and just make sure you do it slowly. And putting up soundproofing is easy. You just glue it to the wall in the right pattern. Right. And then put in the wall we above, we just took, um, you know, we put some stuff up there. We just took some sheetrock that we found and we just jammed it up there and put some soundproofing up there as well. And it wasn't pretty, but we got it done. Yeah, that is that is the important thing is 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 to make it work because, you know, you don't you don't have to make it pretty. You don't have to make it decorative. It's just a bunch of college kids doing radio. So just just make it functional, I guess. Well, remember, we had we had just moved out of Memorial. Uh, well, this was still a memorial, but we were in a temporary studio memorial where we basically had to do production and, and live in the same room. And that was insane. You know, um, so we now had separate studios and we had a, we had the eight track studio that we had put in 
And that was a great learning experience as well, having that studio, uh, you know, it, it, to learn audio engineering on and everything. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about you becoming station manager. Um, again, was this sort of your idea of your ambition of where you wanted to go or was Jeff asking you to go for this position? Well, um, I, I'm, I'm for my whole life been a really organized guy and, um, I have no problem just having real conversations with people mm. and, you know, Jeffrey and I, I don't know how long were you around when Jeffrey was around? Yeah, I was, uh, I was the last program director he hired. So my first two years, uh, I knew him, but didn't have a ton of interaction with him. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if the stories you've heard about Jeffrey or not, but you know, we used to go to his house and, and you know, be had great bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we go and we sit and have discussions. There were a few of us. And, and back then the station manager and the program director both paid, uh, they were paid position from the university. So Jeffrey, you know, looked at me and looked at, um, uh, Gennaro Talrico and, and Greg Fennell and, and said, you know, we need, uh, you know, he wanted to reward us for all the work we had done to get us a paid position there. Um, you know, so that was one of the things Jeffrey, uh, asked about. And, you know, I was somebody who was willing to put in work, had, had led the, you know, the rebuilding of the studios and everything. So he was kind enough to let me do that. Wow. So, uh, so it must've been a really satisfying feeling of, of building those studios and then getting, uh, that position, I guess, was, would that have been your senior year at, at Hofstra? That, that would have been my senior year. Yes. And, and that was a year we actually changed from VHC to RHU and we went from mono to stereo. Um, so that was, that was, you know, a fun time. Um, what were your feelings at the time about changing the call letters? I haven't had a chance to ask too many people about that. Was it, was it important to you or, or was it just, this is business? Uh, well, uh, at the time, uh, President Sheward wanted the call letters changed to Radio Hofstra University. Mm-hmm. And that was what we were going to do. So wh- whether you like the idea or not, that's what was happening. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. RHU, okay. Radio Hofstra University versus, you know, the, the original VHC, which is a, the voice of Hofstra College way back mm-hmm. when. Um, you know, so the, the transition and we were going stereo and, you know, but the, the other thing too, is, you know, we did the classics from Hofstra for six hours a day. Yes. Um, you, you, has anybody ever told you the deal behind that? Yes. And then, and we lived yeah. through that and we asked many questions and it, it, I think it's helpful for, for the younger generations because the classics, uh, doesn't mean anything to anybody at, at this point, but that was part of the deal. It's part of the funding in exchange yeah. for, yeah, uh, playing we, the classics. Uh, yeah, it was. And, and you know, it, it, we, we were blessed. I don't know if you've ever met Carl Bucking, but. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. We were blessed to have Carl who programmed that six hours every day. And, and if we didn't have Carl, we would have played the worst classical music in our life because none of us really knew much about it, but Carl did. And we were blessed to have Carl and, and he kept that running and, you know, uh, it sounded great every day. Yeah, Carl is uh, is an endless stream of knowledge and information and stories, and and he's a uh, he's phenomenal to talk to. And um, yeah, I, I know that that he sort of fortuitously came to the radio station. I think it may have been his senior year, 
that he had been working with the Chronicle and doing other things and came to uh, the station just about the same time that this deal was struck about about the yeah. classics. So uh, great timing on that. We, we were also lucky that uh, WHLI gave us uh, their entire old classical record collection. Wow. Which, uh, which uh, my, myself and, and Mike D'Antonio uh, transported from the beautiful WHLI on the old, the old studios in Hempstead. Uh, in my car, we must have made about 10 trips to make all those records, but it helped uh, expand the collection as well. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, uh, Teddy Ronenberger was instrumental in helping us out with getting that record collection and, and a whole lot of other things that Teddy did for us. Yeah. I, I wonder, was Elliot Lifson involved with that at all? Because I know he... Yes, Elliot, Elliot, Elliot was. Um, you know, Elliot was a, a, a true soul. I, I love talking to Elliot. Um, he was a great guy. Um, you know, he just was somebody else that uh, we really loved having around the radio station. Hmm. Um, I've had a few conversations uh, in some of the recent interviews uh, about Elliot because he passed while I was an undergrad in the early mm -hmm. 90s. And he had this huge collection of vinyl records that he left to the station. And and a good chunk of my senior year and into the following year, we as undergrads were spending a lot of time going through those records and filing them and uh, just really appreciating that. And and so I like to talk as you know whenever I can. Uh, when people have stories about him and his generosity, I love I love to get some some more details. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, he was he was I, I loved every minute I could spend with Elliot. He was a, he was the learning tree. Is there is there anything you remember specifically getting from him or conversations? Well, what what he would do is he he you know he especially around production and stuff you know because Elliot liked to do production and you know it was really about the art of it. You know, it's really just the storytelling and the art behind it. And he was very level-headed, um, you know, and, and the show he produced and, and that ran on on uh, VHC and RHU back then. So hmm. he was a really great guy. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you mentioned a couple of names a couple of minutes ago. Um, who, was, uh, who was your program director and any other uh, EB or AB members while you were station manager? Uh, well, of course... Uh, I had the pleasure of, of uh, having Mike Kluger at the radio station at the mm -hmm. time, um, still dedicated to the Hofstra Radio Alumni Association to Absolutely. this day. Yeah. Um, you know, I see the pictures and stuff, and Mike was a wealth of information. Uh, Mike D'Antonio was was there. Um, Greg Fennell, who did some of the programming. Ger Gennaro Tallarico did that as well. Um, you know, those, those were the people who – Dan Murphy was our – Dan was an interesting guy. He was our promotions guy and he would get us tickets to stuff and he was really good at cutting deals. Um, mm. And he would get us stuff, um, you know, and, uh, I, I'm sure you've heard the stories around Jeff Foss and, and P5. Yeah. But I always, I always love hearing more because we've, we've had some people talk about the original post-punk progressive pop party and then how it shifted to more of a hip-hop show uh under jeff's guidance so uh if you don't mind sharing anything about jeff i'd love to hear it so so what was great about jeff was he could you know lir was right down the block and jeff was breaking music before lir was hmm. and he just had the connection uh and he was just the show was insane and he was really he was really an innovator 
when that music was coming out and, and he was passionate about it and he was, you know, he just, he really, when, when he did that show, you could feel the entire show being, you know, him. Mm. So. And then when it transitioned later on, well, it's some of it transitioned, but then you, you, when airwave came on, which was Joe Barone's creation, okay. um, you know, that was, that was all Joe too. And that show was exceptional and, and breaking things and, and really the sound of that show. I have very distinct memories of uh, Jeff on Saturday nights, bringing in a crew and equipment yeah. and early yeah. sampling machines and extra turntables. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we'd be out on a Saturday night or coming home from a, from a show and say, well, let's, let's stop by the station and see what he's doing. And I guess he just had the sort of mind and personality that if something new was happening, whether it's musically or technologically, he was going to go investigate it and find people that he could work with. And it was just it was just so interesting uh, what he would do every Saturday night. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, yeah. And then, you know, um, I don't know if people have talked about Joe Barone over the years, but Joe was a, an incredible creative mind, um, you know, with that show and and. I don't have people talked about Joe. Not really. No, I'd love to hear something. Yeah. So so Joe came up with that show and um, Joe went on in his career to own one of the biggest uh, agencies in New York city, uh, Mikhail Barone and then bar one uh, that did uh, commercial work and Mm -hmm. won a lot of awards. But Joe was just so creative with that show and, and he drove that to start it. And he really kept it. It was one of the first shows that we did there that really had true formatting. It was like a radio station formatting as opposed to just go pull a record off the wall. You know, he really formatted that show, which was excellent. Oh, interesting. Because uh, I, I mean, what it became was was much, much more freeform and inclusive. And, and some shows were, you know, the, the early punk rock and, and new wave and other things, you know, it, it, depending on the DJ, it was very open. So it's interesting that it started uh, more tightly formatted. It's, it's funny how these things go. Well, he was trying to teach people, you know, mm-hmm. to learn when you go out into the radio world, you're going to be playing programmed music. Right. You know, I, I spent, you know, the, after I graduated from Austria, I spent 14 years in, you know, out in the professional world, um, many years programming WBLI and, you know, it's different of, you know, how you, the formatting, you know, it's, you come out, if you, you can understand it, it can work. So. Right. Um, Do you think there were a lot of people at the station at the time who saw radio as their future, as their career, or was it a mix of people who were just doing it for fun and people who wanted to be professionals? Uh, I would say about 80% of them really wanted this as a career. It was a hot career at the time. Mm. Um, You know, it was, you know, I, I left the business in 98 because of the consolidation. Yeah. Um, I didn't leave the business because I wanted to, but I looked forward and I went, no, not, not, not going to be something that's going to be sustainable for the long haul. And, you know, I, I look at people, my peers at that time, there are several still in radio. Um, Scott Bowden at Z100 worked with me out at BOI and he's been at Z for 30 years now. Wow. Um, you know, but there's, there's several people that have sustained, but it's, it's, you know, when it consolidated, it's tough. And, you know, now as, as people come out of school, uh, there's a whole different genre to look at podcasting and, and all of that. 
I mean, you know, that's that's what my kid does. He does tons of podcasting work and everything. And, you know, it's the way it's what radio has become in some sense is podcasting. Yeah, I, I think there's so many creative voices and people who want to express themselves. And because of, like you said, the consolidation and uh, and that trend, there just aren't the jobs and opportunities anymore. And here's another way to pursue that. So, uh, like you said, I think I think it shifts over time with the technology and and the changes in audience. And, and I'll, I'll say this, and this is no disrespect to the, the current students at Hofstra, and they have a, an excellent opportunity and they have you know, top flight equipment. But when you go out into the real world and some of these smaller markets and as you work your way up, it's you're working with some old equipment and not such great stuff, you know, it's and it's shoestring. And if, if you see some markets now, uh, I have a couple of friends who, you know, they're live on one station, they're live on another in the mm-hmm. same day, and then they voice track three others. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the few people that do have jobs are doing multiple jobs. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's still a great business. I I love it to this day. You know, every time I turn on the radio, I, I love listening to it. And I still love hearing live DJs. There's so few left or air personalities, whatever you want to call them. There, right. There's so few left, you know, um, but it's 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 something I'll never forget. I loved I loved the 14 years I spent professionally after leaving college. It was a I was talking to somebody the other day about it and it was, it was the best time of my life. Mm. You know, I never forget it, you know, and, uh, in college we, I made some great friendships back then. Um, you know, some, you know, I, I known D'Antonio for, I guess what, 40 years now. I was just thinking about that. I was sitting at dinner. I go, uh, yeah, it was about 40 years ago, you know, that I met D'Antonio probably 82 so um, over 40 years, you know, some people that I've known Mike Kluger for 40 years, you know, it's just, it's a long time. Um, but it was, it was a great group of people. It was a great p- group of people who really wanted to succeed, you know, and that's what made the experience uh, one of the things I'll never forget. Absolutely. I think, th- I think that's a truism throughout the generations that people really want to succeed and find ways to do that. You mentioned your professional career and how much that meant to you, but is there a story about your time at Hofstra Radio that you always tell if it comes up, you're, that's your go-to story? Yeah, it's unfortunately a, an ugly story, but yeah. it's one I explained to college radio to some people. So um, the, the radio station was at the, the bottom of Memorial Hall and, uh, you know, there was a bathroom up at the mm-hmm. top of the, uh, the ramp. So it was a ramp, a bathroom, and then it ran down into stations. And I was sitting upstairs. The office was two floors up, and I was sitting there. And they call me and go, can you run down here? I run down the back stairs. I come in, and I run into four inches of raw sewage because the bathroom had overflowed. And, of course, it had streamed all the way down. Mm-hmm. So it, it was – and Jeffrey at that time was in the hospital with an appendicitis. Wow. So um, we spent the next couple of days. I went back and forth over to uh, uh, to Dean's office, Janine's office at the time to talk to her. And, you know, we were trying to get carpets ripped up, but none of that happened. But the the funny part of this was I come down and and we had the plant department come over and the guy looks at me as I'm standing in four inches of raw sewage and says, so what's the problem? 
Two people literally just tackled me. <laughs> I, I was just going to, like, I don't know what I was going to do, but it was going to be ugly. Um, you know, and it, it got solved over the next couple of days. But it was just like all the hard work and everything. It was just like, okay, you know, a, a stupid bathroom. Yeah. Placed on top of a ramp. Why would you do that? We, we always wondered that ourselves, and we didn't have it quite that bad, but there were some nights where uh, someone stuffed up the toilet and there's water running down, but that you, that that's that's the worst I've ever heard. And, and you guys yeah. had just built those studios. Well, that was the thing. We had wow. just built them, and it was like, here, here's all our hard work. And, and, you know, the only good thing about that bathroom there was, you know, and all the bathrooms on that floor were unisex. You know, you went to the closest bathroom. If you were down at the TV station, you went to the ladies' room. You know, you didn't walk all the way down the hall. Um, you know, that made that was stupid. Um, but, you know, every, it was great having the bathroom there. But it was really not a smart idea to put a ramp to go down to there to do that. So, yeah, well, that's I, the I, story I tell people and they go, oh, that must have been fun. I go, yeah, <laughs> it was. Oh, the joys of college radio uh, and, and dealing with all that. Um, are there any stories that, that have come back to you recently that you forgot about or things that you just, you know, just don't come up in casual conversation that you wouldn't mind sharing? Well, I, I think, you know, I reminisce back about some of the people, you know, I see old photos and, and stuff. And, and as I talk to people, you know, they ask me, I, I work in my professional life now. I work with a lot of people in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And we joke, you know, it's a different generation. My, my son is, is 31. Uh, it's a different generation, you know, and, and I t- we wax poetic. So a couple of people I work with uh, are also the same age as I am. And we wax poetic about the 80s and they just stare at us like we're insane. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I talk about the, you know, the people back then who you had to work so hard. You know, you didn't have smartphones. You didn't, you wanted to write a paper you didn't have a computer. You sat there, you wrote it out by hand, and then you sat at a typewriter and typed it. And you had to write it out first and do all the punctuation and the paragraphs and, and everything so that when you typed it, you didn't type it 12 times. And, and I just go back and, and I talk about watching everybody sitting in the office, writing papers in between trying to you know, um, help with the radio station and everything we needed to do with it. And, and people just spending 12, 13 hours a day there mm-hmm. just to get stuff done. You know, it, it just, that's what I, 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 I sometimes reminisce back. And when I start telling stories about it back then, you know, like D'Antonio and I moving the records and, and us building the studio and us uh, humping a transmitter from Fordham. Uh, so Jeffrey got us a transmitter, backup transmitter donated from Fordham, but they forgot to tell us it didn't fit in the elevator. So you had to see five guys humping a transmitter down four flights of stairs. Wow. Yeah. That's, I, I thought you were going to say it didn't fit in the vehicle that you brought. Nah, well, no, we, had a, we, brought, we were smart enough. We brought a truck. Okay. You know, we brought a truck with a ramp and everything, but that we, we didn't. But when we got there, they go, oh, yeah, there's no elevator to get it down. We go, excuse us. So this took us about two hours to hump it four flights of stairs down. You know, me, Mark D'Agostino, I remember Vinny DeBlade was there and it was a couple, you know, Mark D'Agostino and he unfortunately has passed too. Yeah. 
you know, there's so many people that have passed. Um, but I think Blen was there too. Uh, but it was a group of us and we're just the five of us humping this down the stairs one step at a time. And then when we got it back to Hofstra, it fit in the elevator and we got it all the way to the top floor of tower C. So, well, well, thank, thank goodness for small favors. I guess you can get a bunch of 20 year old guys to, to carry something down the stairs, but, but going back up, that would have been too much to ask, I think. But well, uh, yeah, the, the problem was just keeping it from rolling all the way down the stairs. Because it weighed, what, three, four hundred pounds? It was insane. You know, we figured we'll just throw in the elevator, we'll put it in the back of the truck. You know, we're up in Fordham in the Bronx, and we'll just drive back. Nope, that didn't work out. How hard could it be? <laughs> yeah, well, somebody forgot to tell us it didn't go in the elevator. Yeah, well, um, I, I guess it, I guess it worked out, and it, it turned out to be a, a, a good story. Um I, I think I know the answer to this, but because uh, it seems like you you jumped in with both feet from the beginning and you got so involved. Was there ever a point while while you were at Hofstra Radio where you thought, ah, this isn't for me, or I'm not having fun, or I, I might walk away? Well, what, what's interesting is I when I first came in, I was a computer major for my first my sophomore year at Hofstra, right? So I completed the entire broadcasting curriculum in two years. So I went to school. Every break that we, you know, all, all the time I went and every semester there was, I went during the summer, I went during the winter, I got all the credits done in two years. Um, my crew hours for TV, mm-hmm. I became the voiceover guy for Hofstra television. I just went down, sat in the booth and that was my crew hours every week, sat in the booth, read like 50 things and that was it. I didn't have to do anything else. Not bad. Um, but, but I hold, um, Oh, a lot of waivers at Hofstra. <laughs> yeah. I, I went up to to Bill Wren at the end and I, I needed another waiver. And, and and I go, I need you to sign this bill. And he goes, uh, I said, Bill, I'll be here another semester. He goes, okay, I, I, I let go. Just get out. <laughs> Cause I broke Bill's chops all the time at the, at the TV station. Um, because, you know, we, we used to get annoyed with them a lot at the TV station because, you know, we, we shared uh, an engineer with them to do work for us. If something was broken, you know, Frank mm-hmm. was our chief engineer, but Chris who worked out at, at Hofstra TV would come down if something broke. Okay. And Bill would always give us a hard time. And we were like, you know, enough, but then we'd steal his secretary's dog. I don't know if you ever heard about Geraldine, but we'd steal. No, dog. no, let's, yeah. uh, you can't, yeah. you can't tease that and not tell the story. Yeah, so, 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 uh, Bill had a secretary named Elsa, wonderful lady, but she brought Geraldina to work every day. And we'd occasionally steal Geraldine, the dog. And um, she'd be screaming down the hallway after us. Where's so if we got annoyed at him, we'd steal Geraldine just to break his chops. So wow. uh, yeah, it, it was it was a weird time. You know, we just like I said, we were stealing furniture at seven o'clock at night. We were we were like thieves in the night. Yeah. Um you know, and as I say, if we ever got caught doing some of this stuff, we might not have graduated. But oh well, it um, was fun. So you, you mentioned the, the the waivers before. Were these waivers for classes? Oh or? yeah, yeah. I, I I never had a minor. Um, I, I needed class waivers uh, just to get through stuff. You know, um, because I just you know I I took all the courses for broadcasting, 
but they wanted some other courses too. And I said, nah, I don't have time for those. You know, I got my full credits. I got my degree hanging on the wall. I graduated, but I just, I put myself all into the broadcasting curriculum in two years. I, as I said, I went during winter intercession. I went to summer. I took nine credits in the summer. Wow. I was there nonstop. Wow. Um, that, that's, that's impressive. And, and I'm sure it was pretty demanding. Uh, you, you mentioned doing some of the, the, the TV stuff. Um, was there a, a, a rivalry or tension between the TV people and radio? Cause a lot of people have talked about that before the Bruce Avery era, that, that TV was sort of the golden child and, and us radio people were, were not as appreciated. Right. Because we were cultural arts and back then they had Hofstra television. Yep. And then I used to get busted by the radio station guys because I was the voice of Hofstra television. And I go, but I got to do crew hours, guys. And this was the easiest way to do crew hours was just me go sit in a booth and read. Well, so I went to the booth and read. So you'd walk through and everything right on Hofstra TV was me. And and they'd break my chops. And I go, well, I need a crew hour. So that's what what I'm going to do. What kind of friends would they be if they didn't give you a hard time? Oh, well, it was great, though. You know, (laughs) it was fun. I I said, you know, I'm just getting my way through the, the curriculum as fast as I can you know, and, and get done. But um, Is there a song or an event or uh, a game that defines your time at Hofstra Radio that, that sort of you would hold up as that's the moment or that's the, that's the thing? A song. Hmm. There was one time we did an interview with Big Country. I don't know if you're familiar with sure. that group way back when, right? So in a big country, yeah, uh, yeah. They they come in and, and the guy had just gotten off his tour bus and man was he destroyed. And, and and we're trying to do an interview with him on the air and it just wasn't going well. Um, <laughs> it, it not nasty or anything, but he just was out of it. And you know we had promoted this and everything and it just went sideways. And the other thing we had at the time though, the Jets were there. I don't know how long the Jets were at Hofstra when you right. were there. Yeah. But we had access to all the Jets, which was great, you know, because we get them on the radio station and we go over and get them and cut promos for us and everything. So having the Jets on campus was wonderful at that time um, because it got exposure for Hofstra too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to the big country interview, they're from yeah. Scotland as well. So if he's not in the best shape and he's got a Scottish accent, that must have been <sighs> – <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. That dramatic. Well, I, I mean, was... he was he was really nice, but he was just gotten off a tour bus. He was just you know not in great shape. Yeah, and it was like, okay, we we had this big interview, and this is not going well. Yeah. Uh, um, was there was there anything that you wanted to happen at the station that you weren't able to achieve in your time there? I think the uh, to be able to get more um, publicity for the station. Yeah. Um, you know, I think to you know we had the three stations right there, right? You had uh, you had uh, well, you had four. You had HPC, BAU, um, CWP, and Hofstra, right? Um, you know, I don't know if you know Bill Moser of CWP, but. Um, you know, Bill was a great guy. He would help us out with stuff. If we needed stuff for the radio station, he'd help us out from CWP. Um, and then BAU and, um, NASA community split the frequency at that time. Right. 
you know, and, and college radio at that time, it was just with LIR down the block and everything. I just wish we could have gotten more publicity. You know, I look at now with, um, you know, I'm, I don't live on Long Island anymore, but I'm, I'm sure that Hofstra's still involved with the Islanders. Yep. Um, right. So, you know, that, that, and other things that you have now, you know, that have made the, the stations won how many Marconi awards for station of the year? Yeah. Um, a whole bunch. Um, you know, I, I just wish we were around at the time the way college radio was recognized now. Um, you know, you had you had college radio in, in trade publications and and FOSS kept us, you know, top of mind in those. But it's just a different time now with social media and everything to be able to pu- publicize something. What yeah. did we have back then? We didn't have anything. Yeah, maybe get a line or two in Newsday. That's that's about right. it. Yeah, that's what I miss. That's what I miss. I wish we had the way you could publicize now, back then. Yeah, because we worked really hard. All four of those stations worked really hard. All four of those stations within you know twelve miles of each other worked really hard every day. Right, and on that that left end of the dial, there's only so many people who are going to go down there and find those things that you're working so hard on, and it seems a shame that more people aren't hearing it. And I th- I think that's the eternal struggle with. Uh, I I know things are different now, and there's there's streaming channels and 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 things of that nature, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a pity that more people don't get to hear it. I mean, because you know the contour of of RHU really is about 15 miles, right? That's about where you can really get a strong signal, right? Mm-hmm. 15 miles, give or take. I don't think you've gone up in much power since then, right? Um, as far as I know, the the, the transmitters uh, still have the same power. I don't I don't know, right. but so, but that was about a 15 mile contour. But now with streaming, it doesn't really matter, right? How far you can broadcast, right? Right? You know, you just listen to it on an app. So you're worldwide, you know, and that's that's the thing back then. You worked really hard for that 15 miles of just trying to. And we had some great programs back then. The international programs were, you know, with Swede, Hans Olsen and, and Tony and the two Tonys, Tony Jackson and, and the other Tony, which I can't remember. Tony Fallon. Name. Tony Fallon. Thank yeah. you. Um, you know, and, and we had those programs, which were the, the benchmarks of the weekend. Um, you know, we had the reggae program that was listened to by a lot of people. John Mike. Now, if you ever wanted to see something, you walked into the studio while John Mike was there. I've heard a few stories. What, what would you, yeah. what would you share? No, about I'm, John I'm Mike? Just, it, it was a party. It was a reggae show. So it was a party. Uh-huh. You know, I walked in one time and I said, you know, John Mike, we can't have the McDonald's on the turntables. <laughs> you know, um, you know, he was, he was a good guy though. He was a great show and we had some great shows, you know, that, that, uh, you know, we're really well done, you know, and that's what kept the weekend going and the fundraisers we have. I don't know if you guys at, at the station now still have the fundraisers or the Irish fundraisers and everything we used to do. Yeah. Um, we used to make a lot of money with those. Yeah. As far as I know, the, the, the Irish marathon and the, and the polka marathon with, with Basha and now we've got the R and B guys. Uh, yeah. There's still some, some tried and true programs there on the weekends and the Italian programs. That's, that's the backbone of the station. I'll tell you a quick funny story about Jeffrey. So uh, we were doing the Irish Marathon. And unfortunately, I had to go to a broadcasting convention in California. So I set the whole marathon up and everything. And it went flawlessly. We made a lot of money. I came back. I said, so how did it go? He goes, and in true Jeffrey form, the soda bread was hard. (laughs) That was all he said to me. (laughs) 
which I took as it went well. Right. Right. But that was Jeffrey. And and you getting know, I, and getting to know that. What a privilege to know that to, to be able to read his language uh like that and get so much more out of the story. Because if you didn't know, you think, well, why did he say that? But you knew how how neat that is. Yeah, he wasn't going to tell me it went great. He was just going to jab me with, well, the soda bread was hard, um, you know. But it, it was it was just a great time. I learned a lot from him. Um, I think we all did. Learned a lot from Jeffrey. And uh, I never had the opportunity um, to work with Bruce or even meet Bruce. But, uh, you know, I, I think he carried on that legacy and set a new one. Um, you know, and led this station through the change into what it was and, and won so many Marconi awards. Um, you know, it's just, it's proud to, I'm proud to be an alumni of, of that radio station when I see those awards. Cause I think back and I go, well, we were on the ground floor of that. And before us were the guys down the little theater. Mm-hmm. If you talk to, you know, the guys in the sixties and, and the seventies, you know, that were down in a little theater. Those yeah. were the former. Yeah, it, it it all built up, and and I mean, going back to the '60s when Hofstra was going to cut the funding, and and they did a picket, and they did a fundraiser, and Jeff built those things, and Mike Kluger and George Musgrave, and all these guys built things up over the years, and uh, continued on. And when when Bruce was hired and came in, he said, "I want." to move the station forward, but I want to always honor the legacy of the past. And he mm-hmm. was true to his word with that. And John Mullen's been true to that. So I think we're all pretty proud of, of where we came from and, and where we are now. Yeah. And it's sad that both of them are gone now. So, yeah, yeah, you know, but uh, the, the legacy will carry on. Um, you know, the, the three sets of call letters, HCH, then VHC and, and then uh, RHU. So yeah. hopefully they won't change the call letters again. Uh, you mentioned that funny story about Jeff. Is there a story, a memory, or an event that always makes you laugh, that always gives you a chuckle when you think about it? Um, so at one of the dinners, um, he he they did a prank, and he had a gorilla come in and, and steal him out of the party. Right. And it was the night we were going uh, stereo, and it was a big announcement, and I, I just got annoyed him at, at, at him that night. Because he had to pull a joke on a night that was historic, Hmm. you know, and and I had a conversation with him after that. I said, yeah, I know what you were trying to do, but, you know, sometimes you have to be a little more like this was a big deal, you know, and, and, you know, we had a conversation. It was fine. But, you know, I, I just looked at him that night and I went, you let a lot of people down. Wow. And well, because it was, he was trying to be funny and I got it, but you know, he was playing to the older crowd for that. He was playing to the the alumni that were there. And for the, the students who were in their senior year or, or who were coming up and who were breaking their chops and who were at this, this dinner, we just didn't take it as funny. Hmm. I've, I've, I've heard different versions of that story, but I, mm-hmm. I never got that, that take before. And I, I, I see what you mean. I see you, the, all the hard work you put in and the effort and this is, this is your time. And then that, that sort of distracts from it. Huh? Yeah. I, I mean, it just, yeah. It's the way it hit me, you know, yeah. and it hit a few other people the same way that, you know, I talked to that night. It was just like, you know, it's, it's, uh, listen, I want to have fun. 
you know, I'm, I'm all about having fun, but there's also time where it, if the students don't understand it, not everybody knew Jeffrey the way that some of us did. Right. You know, there were very few of us that sat in his house until one o'clock in the morning drinking bourbon, you know, and having his cat claw at my chest all night. <laughs> I wish he had declawed those cats, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so we go over there and the cats love to sit on your chest and just claw at you. It was like, oh God. But, you know, there were a few of us that knew him like that. And there were others that didn't. And some of them looked and go, what was that? You know? Yeah. Um, no, I can, I can, I can understand that. It's, it's, it's a different, it's a different version of the story. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I love hearing all the different versions. That's, that's what this is. This and, is and, all and about. What was funny was I came back after the year I left and, and, and I wasn't the, the most friendly guy in my position as station manager, you know, you had to kind of like set a tone. Yeah. And I came back and like six months later, somebody said to me, well, I now know why you were the way you were <laughs> because somebody is not that way right now. And it's like a, you know, animal house, frat house. Um, and again, I wasn't nasty about it, but we, I was trying to run it like a radio station to say, when you go out in the real world, you're going to have to be professional. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, and, a, it's, it's a tough line for a student manager to, to have fun and enjoy yourself. But at the same time, you have to make sure that the product is, is getting out there and people are showing up for their shifts. It's a hard place to be. Well, and then also we're being professional. Yeah. You know, that, that, you know, you're, you're going to go into the professional world and you're not going to get away with this stuff. It's just not going to happen. Hmm. You know, you know that it's, yeah. you know, and yeah. we did some crazy stuff in, in professional radio, but, but when you start now, when you're first getting there, you have to, you have to know how to exist in a professional workspace. And, and that's what you were trying to do as station manager, but, uh, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's lost upon some people when they just, when they just want to have fun. But, um, is there something that you miss the most about being at the station? Um, what I missed the most was the camaraderie. Um, you know, it was, yeah, I, I miss that about professional radio too, you know, and I just, uh, somebody I worked with a long time, uh, just passed about three weeks ago and I was driving in my car and somebody messaged me who used to work with me and, and said, this person was, was dead. And I was like, what, you know, it's, it's just so sudden. And, you know, I, I missed the camaraderie around that. It was a great group of people, um, you know, and I missed the camaraderie of radio. You know, when I worked in radio professionally, it was a, a very uh, close-knit group. Yeah. I will say, though, if you ever work in radio, don't work in the same building with your wife for nine years. So, Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on the board and make sure. Uh... Well, no, it's, it's just it, it kind of what how did your day go? Yeah, it's not something you can do at dinner because you lived it together. <laughs> right. No, it's it, it is it is tough being being on 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 top of each other like that. Understood. Um, if you could go back and give advice to yourself back at eighteen or nineteen years old, a quick piece of advice. What would you What would you tell your younger self? Um, and, and this is going to sound strange, but not to take it as seriously as I did. Yeah. At times, uh, to to be a little more um, while you're trying to be structured to also realize that people are people. 
um, you know, in the, the 40 plus years now I've, I've been working in the business world, I've kind of taken that as people are people. Yeah. And, um, you know, while we look for structure, uh, that would be the advice I would give to myself. And, and when I first went into radio professionally, I took it too seriously as well. Um, you know, you come out of college, you think, you know, you know what you're doing and, and you walk in and nobody wants to hear that. Right. You know, so. the, the, the new hotshot on the block and, you know, you're going to change everything. Yeah. I, yeah. I got some stories about that. We can, we can talk about them another time. <laughs> yeah. um, if you had the chance to go back to Hofstra Radio and, and do a show, uh, would you do it? And if so, what kind of show would you want to do? Well, uh, one, one quick thing was one, one, uh, so we were doing a jazz fusion show on Sunday night that I used to host. Uh-huh. And, and one week I was just tired of that. So I, I changed it to heavy metal. Okay. I just changed the format the middle of the show. <laughs> I come in the next morning and, and Jeffrey goes, uh, nice format change. <laughs> wow. That's, but I changed uh, it to heavy metal and it was a really good show. Um, it was a time where heavy metal was starting to pick up. It yeah. was, you know, 83, 84, you know? So I was like, why are we playing jazz fusion? Let's play something that's up and coming. So yeah, I, I'd love to do a, a some sort of classic rock show um, if I could do one. Yeah, oh, that sounds fun. Um, you mentioned your professional career and your years at WBLI, which I remember listening to. Um, what did you take from Hofstra Radio into your professional life and your your quote unquote grown up life? Well, what what I took out of college was to be um, dedicated. So, you know, in, in, at BLI, I spent nine years at BLI and then I worked, uh, for the next, uh, rest of my career over at, um, HLI and KJY. Um, but I, I took it as be dedicated and, and be all in. That's mm. what I took from college is to give your best effort every day and then learn, you know, just learn, you know, as I said, you come in like a hot shot and then you realize I, I'm still learning. Uh, make believe you're back in college and you're still learning. Hmm. Is that something that you think you picked up on, on your own from working at, at the radio station or is that like advice you got from Jeff or somebody? Um, no, I actually, it, it was interesting when I went to BLI, um, they had some great leadership there, some really um, veteran people. And, uh, you know, I, I sat with uh, the, the person who actually just passed away three weeks ago, and he and I were having a talk when he first came. When I first came into radio station, he he was the afternoon drive guy at the time, and we were doing an appearance together. Um, I was, you know, uh, doing promotions at the time when I started there, and and he just gave me some words of wisdom. He goes, "I came out of college, and this is how I felt," and and you know, he came out of um, Ithaca, you know, which was a big radio school. And he goes, I came out and, you know, I was a big hot shot and I came here and uh, let me tell you why that doesn't work. So he gave me some words of wisdom and that helped me mm. moving forward. Hmm. Um, is there, are there things that come up now in, because uh, you said you're not in radio anymore, but are there things that you still use uh, from things that you learn or ideas that you picked up uh, back then? So here's, here's what I, I try to, you know, I, the business I work in now, I right now I, I run a, a national program for Beats. Um, 
you know, and, and working with them, they're an interesting group to work with because it's Apple. Um, but what I try to talk to my team about and everything is um, think outside the box and um, don't, don't get frustrated with problems, work the solution. They get, they get too crazy on, well, why did this happen? I had this discussion with somebody this morning. We were going over an IT problem and I said, why are we worried about this? Let's just go fix it. So I, I live by the philosophy is I can't change yesterday, but I can change today and I can change tomorrow, but I can't change yesterday. It happened. So I don't dwell on the past. I'm, I try and move forward. And that's why I tell everybody every day, let's not, let's not a repeat the mistake, but B let's not dwell on it and care. Well, let's just move forward and be better. Mm. But too many times we talk about, well, why did this happen and who did this? And everybody wants to put blame on stuff. Well, that's the past move forward. So that's what I tell a lot of people, you know, that I work with that are younger. If you're going to try and, you know, be as old as I am and, and still work is, you know, just don't worry about yesterday. Worry about today and tomorrow. Those are, those are great words of advice. That's, that's fantastic. And I guess, you know, in your four, there's all these stories that you told, you know, there's four inches of sewage. You can yeah. be mad about it, but you also got to fix it. And you, you know, you can't stay mad about it. You got to do the things to, to get back where you need to be. So, um, yeah, yeah I get right. to, you know, and, and it's the other thing I tell everybody when, when they, they come into a new position is I, I, I always tell people to listen, to learn and adjust. Um, don't come in and want to change everything until you listen to the people that you're going to lead, you learn about them, and then you adjust as needed. Don't adjust things just to adjust them because all you're going to do is, is screw with people and they're not going to follow you. You know, as a leader, that you have to have people follow you, you know. Um, you know, when I do business reviews with clients, the first thing I say is uh, I'm presenting the work of my team out in the field. This isn't my work. This is their work. You know, and you, and you have to, if you take credit for stuff that other people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, you know, in the field all day, then you're going to fail them and they're not going to follow you as a leader, you know? So that's some of the things I've learned over the years. And I tell younger people, you know, just listen, learn and adjust. Mm. Um, but you don't have to adjust if it doesn't need to be adjusted, you know, because they walk in, I'm the new sheriff in town. Stop with that. That's, that's, that's stupid. Mm. Hmm. Uh, all, all these lessons of, of teamwork and responsibility and creativity. It's all, yeah, it's all right there. It's, it's fantastic that that's, that stayed with you all these years. That's uh, yeah. thank you for sharing oh, that. And that's what a college radio station is. So it's a bunch of people who come together. They're probably not going to see each, many of each other after four years, right? You're going to work. You're going to try and have a common goal. There's going to be people that are going to compete with each other, but don't compete to the point where you just ruin the experience for each other. Right. Well, what's that? You know, well, we competed against a TV station. It was fun. Right. You know, it was fun. Nobody took it seriously. We all should hang out with each other. You know, but it was a competitive rivalry. And then at that time, we had a Hofstra concerts, too. You know, and we had a competitive rivalry there. And then you had the two newspapers. So it was, you know, we had rivalries with everybody. It was fun. But nobody took it, you know, to the point where anybody hated each other. You know, we just had fun. It's a healthy competition. Yeah, until I got thrown out of a meeting, but that was it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I was I was going to wrap up, but what what meeting yeah, did please. you get thrown no, out? Just, oh, no, no, no please tell us. What did you get thrown out? No, of? no. What, so what happened was the uh, 
there was a student problem and the administration was uh, really hard on it. And we went over to a student meeting as the, as the uh, radio station and uh, they asked our reporter to leave Carol Monaco. And I was with her and I said, okay, we'll leave now. And we had gone back and forth with the newspaper and uh, the Hofstra Chronicle. Greg Fennell was on the radio staff had also written on an article and we were the front page as we had gotten thrown out of this meeting. And, so I was trying to get publicity for the radio station, right? And Jeffrey walks up that day and he looks at me and he goes, okay, you're done, right? And I said, yeah, I made my point. I got the, I got the radio station on the front page. I'm done. <laughs> but so, he knew what I was doing. Right. Right. And then, and then he wanted to make sure that you knew, point made, move on to something else. But that was Jeffrey. Yeah. All he had to do was say, you're done. And I went, yep, I'm done. Hmm. Mm. What what a what a what a great set of stories and thank you, Mike, so much for for sharing all well, this. I've you. I've had a blast listening to these and uh, I I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No, thank you.